All right. Now that we're really recording, welcome. Oof. I would have caught that. Yeah, Oof. to episode one of Pang Kong Podcast. Pangong Podcast! <laughs> so, Pangong Podcast, uh, I am Nick Jimenez, founding editor of datamag.com. This is the first podcast other than the one where I interview people. Right. Although I'm kind of interviewing you, Mahomeno. Yeah. This for one. now. More yeah, or less. More or less. Um, but this is sort of like the initial expansion of our podcast empire here. Yeah. We're here with Mike Beltran, the chef proprietor of a bunch of things, including Ariette, Chugs, and Mike's Metal Cart Emporium. Jeez. Uh, Nice. That's cool. Let him through. Let him through. We can, we can we can pause for a Come second. On. Just let him through. Come on. Let's go. We're gonna insert a a little yakety sax yeah. music here yeah, while the carts come through. Oh, we could go like a little wily e. coyote or something like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's get mad at the guy for doing his job. Fucking jerk. Doing his job. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. He did that pretty well. He did. He did. He handles it well. It is a very loud cart. It's just a very loud situation. Yeah. I will say it's also not his fault that you guys are moving things around in shopping carts. That's true. Yeah. Which I'm a huge fan of. We make it work. I like that there's a shopping cart involved here. I mean... Now, was was it someone's job to steal that particular shopping cart? It was already here. We didn't steal it. Okay. It was already on property. We just put it to work. Okay. Very good. So, I figured that it was a good opportunity to use it because we need it. Why not? Right. Right. That's fair. Part of opening a restaurant is just using making, what you got, making shit happen. In this first episode, first full episode, because we just did the intro, first full episode of Pangong Podcast, we're going to be talking about the genesis of Chugs, which is the restaurant you just opened. But for those people who maybe are not like Miami foodies, yeah. right, uh, and don't know the history of some of this stuff, uh, I want to get into just how where you come from, how you get into food. Mm. So let's let's dig deep into early Mike. Oh. So, Chef Mike Beltran, where'd you grow up? Oh, man. I grew up in uh, in Miami. I was born in Hialeah. Okay. Grew up in Little Havana and Westchester, a little bit in the Gables, South Miami, a little bit everywhere, but definitely born and raised in Miami. Um, and at what point do you begin to discover that you have a thing for food? Not till later. I mean... Since he was born, he yeah. was... Uh, he had a thing for food. I think we all do. He was yeah. eating. He was eating. Well, we were all we were all eating, but I think the uh, the real like love for food didn't come till way later um, when I went to college and I needed a job and I got a job in a restaurant and I said, "Man, this restaurant thing is, is a lot of fun and I'm pretty fucking good at it." Where'd you go to school? At a small school in Virginia. Okay, Averett University. Never heard of it. Yeah, you wouldn't. Um, and pretty small. Very small. Yeah. Uh, so there I started working at an Applebee's. And that Applebee's, shockingly enough, forever changed my life. I said, man, I really like this restaurant thing. I want to do this long term. But I got to learn how to do everything. And um, that's when I decided to start cooking and bartending and serving, waiting tables. Was there a dish at Applebee's that you especially <laughs> liked to make? Like when if, if, you, if something came across? No. No? No, no. No, it was just like I, 
I was a terrible student in school, but I excelled in anything that was like that involved like hustle, hard okay. work. Yeah. So, you know, I was a great, you know, hustler on the football fields, but I was never super athletic. Um, and in the restaurant game, it's all about hustle. So, I just excelled. So it's just the pace that you were into. The intensity in the environment is very addicting, for sure. So that's where you discover that you like that environment. Uh-huh. At, at what point do you start to sort of train your palate? Not till later. Okay. I mean, I said that I wanted to own a restaurant. I didn't know that it, okay. that it involved good food. I didn't know that it involved me becoming, like, at one point very obsessed with great food. Um, almost to, like, an absolute detriment to myself. Sure. I didn't know that any of that stuff was involved. So what's so, the next step in your career from there? From Apple? I went to school. I left Virginia just, like, abruptly. Yeah. I finished playing football. And I was like, fuck it, I'm out of here. Because, I mean, it was Virginia in the middle of nowhere. It wasn't yeah. even, like, a cool part of Virginia okay. or North Carolina. It was just, like, it was whatever. It wasn't very fun. Um, it was virgin Virginia. It was, it was a very country racist part of Virginia. Okay. You know, a lot of, like... A lot of old school racism still in, was involved there, so I was excited to leave. Maybe um, not the place to be <laughs> not, if you're not an Applebee's. Right. So I just, um, you know, got up and left one day, went to school, went to culinary school for a while, which, you know, I have my opinions about that, but at that time I thought it was a good move. Started working at a steakhouse, and the rest kind of just dominoed to, you know, I worked at a steakhouse, and then I was like, you know, I want to be better than that guy, I want to be better than that guy. I want to be a sous chef. I want to be whatever. And then it just like the ultra competitive nature of my, of myself came out. I was like, I just want to be a better cook than everyone. And then I discovered great food, which was through books. And then through those books, I decided who I wanted to work for. And then I went to go work for Norman, uh, Norman Van Aken for many years. And then it just kind of dominated. I worked for Michael Schwartz for many years. And it was always just like, I want to, I want to be better. Yeah. I want to, if, if I feel like I'm the best cook in this kitchen, I want to go somewhere where I think there's better cooks than me because I want to be the best cook in that kitchen. So, In that early part, did you ever ex- experiment on your own or did you yeah, yeah, I mean, did you, you ha- use the, the, the opportunity of being in the kitchens that you were in to obviously learn as much as you could but also kind of influence your By the way, we're being, super, we're being super sloppy here. This is Carlos Rodriguez. Yeah, talking. this is Carlo, yeah. Carlos. Th- this is. There. You're right, Nick. This, yeah. is, this is Carlos Rodriguez talking. This is our first time. Uh, if you heard me before, now you know the name uh, to put with the voice. And I'll oh, yeah. be chiming in, uh, asking Mike curious questions. <laughs> so, Mike. <laughs> so, back to the question. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm not well-versed at all in this food world. And I, uh, I'm, I'm curious to know uh, from someone like yourself that has achieved somewhat success in the in the restaurant world as a chef and a restaurateur and since we're talking about your beginnings I'm just curious to know how someone that becomes you how do they kind of get their mind around their creative endeavor do you experiment at home do you use the kitchens you were at uh, to kind of learn as much as you can and maybe do something there? Or how does that work? How, how, do you, how did Mike uh, Beltran become the Mike Beltran that he is now? 
to, through those experiences. To answer the first question about did I experiment in other kitchens abruptly, the answer is no. Um, when you work for great people, you put your head down, you shut the fuck up, and you work. That makes sense. And that's just how it is. And you learn. It's like trial by fire. So you you get in there and you get in where you fit in. And I tell people that all the time. When you're in a kitchen, that there's a lot of people that are like dogs. You know, like people are coming at you. They don't want you to be better than them. They want to push you. You know, you just got to get in where you fit in. And it was like that for a while. So, But you got to make sure that you're going through that under people who are going to teach you something through that process. Sure. Right? I mean, it sounds like you did pretty well with Norman Van Aken. Well, you, you also got to make a decision very early in your career and say, you know, I'm, I'm going to accept the fact that I'm not going to make a lot of money. You have to accept the fact that you are going to sacrifice a ton. And while there's a lot of people out there that are having a great time, enjoying their birthdays, enjoying Christmas, going out on a Friday night, you're probably not going to be fucking doing that. You got to accept that. And if you ever had that moment that you're like, oh, fuck, I want to go out and I want to, whatever, I want to go to the club. Like, this isn't the job for you. It's just not. You, if you really want to learn how to cook good food and work for great people, you sacrifice all that. Now... With that being said, the fun part of working in the industry, and that's like when you become obsessed to the detriment, like you, it's detriment to like a cook's well-being, is when you start buying into the lifestyle of being a chef and being a cook. And what does that mean? Man, I mean, it's like you work 14 hours, you go out, you drink for five hours, you do all kinds of things that you shouldn't do. It's including drugs and I mean, it's just like a plethora of things. The opportunities in Miami are endless. You can do so many fucking things that you shouldn't be doing at all kinds of hours of the night. That's what I was about to say, in Miami especially, right. there's not a, an end of the night where right. it's like there's nowhere to go. And it's just all the opportunities are there, are there, and you need to be so, like, internally strong. And I wasn't. I made a lot of fucking mistakes. I fucked up a lot of my life. But, I mean, what I didn't fuck up was I went to work every day. I did the best that I could, and I learned under some really great people. And I worked as hard as I could for them, you know, to the point that they still support me, and they're very, very, very much a part of my kind of, like, evolution as a person and as a chef. So yeah. it's really, like, the detrimental part of becoming a chef is when you buy into what society believes a chef should be doing, right. which is the ki kitchen confidential mentality. What was the point where you realized that was happening because i imagine if you i mean it you're wasn't not conscious it's happening because otherwise you wouldn't let it happen well the thing is you're conscious it's happening but it's fucking fun right it's so much fun i mean you're having the time of your life you are when you're like one of those addicts of the intensity of a kitchen like it's just like super cutthroat super hardcore for six hours and all you're doing is hustling and people are yelling and you're sweating and you're working as a team those nights that it's like it's a fucking team and you guys are cranking shit out you know like everyone is on the same page all you want to do is break down and go have beers that's all you want to do you know i mean i didn't realize that i was really going down a bad path until two and a half years ago okay so it's really recent you know yeah. it's but it's something that's like a big slap in the face when you realize that your personal health is falling apart yeah and you let that happen so and we let it happen Right. Because we, again, buy into what society believes a chef should be, which is like that screaming fuck face on TV. 
or that asshole that just like let's put a bunch of cheeseburgers on top of cheeseburgers and blah, blah, and do some kind of stupid fucking show. That's not what being a fucking chef is about. But that's what like society buys you into believe, you know. So we buy into it because right. it's cool, you know. And, well, and because you see people, or at least some people at the top, being that way or putting that image out. Right. It's not. It's not cool to do blow during service. Right. And I, I'll tell any chef that to his face or her face. Doesn't matter. Yeah. It's not cool to give your line cooks blow. It's not cool to accept that in your kitchen. It's not cool to accept the fact that your cooks are drinking till all hours of the night and then come to work half-assing. Yeah. You've got to be their leader. And up until two and a half years ago, I wasn't that leader either. So I want to get into that, I'm sure, in another future episode. Sure. But there's a lot there. Yeah, there's <laughs> uh, there's a lot there. Yeah. Uh, tell me, though, about what striking out on your own looked like. What is the point where you decided, okay, I am, or I at least think I'm prepared to do that? Do what? To strike out on your own oh, and do your, do own, your thing. own thing. Yeah. Man, you know, I think a big part of being a good chef is being confident, too. And you're like, oh, yeah, I could do this. You have no fucking clue. It's like having a kid. I mean, I don't have a kid, but I guess you could you could speak to this better than I can. That's a really good analogy. Which is like, yeah, yeah, you know, we're ready, we're ready, we're ready. And then you do it, and you're like, fuck. That's a great analogy. What did I just do to myself? Carlos, by the way, is the only father at this domino yeah, table. Yeah, for right sure. Now. It's something that uh, you obviously have an idea about because people have children, mm. and you know people that have children. If you have a relationship with your parents, your parents had you. And uh, it's something that is, is all around you, but never has never actually happened to you. And yeah. you're absolutely right. Once you have a kid, you're like, wow, yeah, I had all these ideas and, and uh, assumptions as to what this would be like. But nothing would ever right. prepare you well enough to know exactly what it was like. Uh, is it is it difficult and challenging at, at times? Absolutely. Just like, I'm sure, many things that are worth it are. For sure. I think... Um, so do you, do you remember that? Oh, I, I mean, I, I remember it like... Where you were when you... I remember it like it was yesterday. Because there was a moment, and I was working in an amazing kitchen for two amazing people with amazing cooks. And... We were putting out what I thought was the best food in the city. Do we and, want to say where that was? Yeah, it was the Cypress Room. Okay. I worked for Royal Cudio. Which was incredible. Which was an incredible restaurant. How, and, uh, until when were you there? Uh, until about six months before they closed. Um, okay. When they switched over to Cypress Tavern. And I just, um, I had worked out a couple things on my own. And um, I thought I had a bunch of shit lined up. And, and this was, was a, a, it was a Michael Schwartz. Yeah. And uh, Michael was a great person to be around Roel was a great person to work for and the guys in that kitchen um, the people in that kitchen will forever influence my life so like I worked with you know Tony and Chris and Brian uh, and Matt and just like guys that will forever be like family to me and I had the opportunity to work with side by side Hetty Goldsmith which was forever like Jewish aunt to me okay, and I respect her immensely and it's just like we cooked with some incredible people too like Michael Anthony and it was an incredible two and a half years and just seeing that and like opening that restaurant and the expectations and all that stuff you know it folded over to opening up the to opening up Ariette 
which I thought I was ready for, and I had no fucking clue that I, I, I just wasn't. You know, from a food perspective, it's difficult when you work for people for so long. And what you asked me before, you don't understand your own perspective. You don't understand your own um, expression. It's been like yeah. hidden inside of you for so long because all you've been doing is saying yes, chef, forever when you're a good soldier. You know, and you've got to be that person to learn. Yeah. So like the first year of, of Ariet was, was a struggle. Who am I? What am I doing? How am I going to handle this? The pressure is going to break me. Can I do this? Can I lead a group of people to do something that I feel like is special? Because up until like opening, I was like, well, I'm Cuban, um, Cuban-American, but I'm French trained. I know some Italian. What am I doing? I don't really know. And until you have that blank canvas in front of you, you don't fucking know. Do you think you have to take that leap, though, where there's that period of uncertainty and figuring it out to, to get there? Yeah, I mean... You, it, it doesn't sound like you were going to get there without having just jumped ship. Right. No, I, I don't think so. And for me, I always work best when I'm just, like, back up against the wall and, like, you have to figure this out. You have to do this because... You know, the, the burden on your shoulders, especially when you're the chef owner, is not just one of yourself and your food. It's of your employees. You have to provide a livelihood for people. You know, and if you're a person that really cares about your employees, then that shit will keep you up at night. Yeah. Because if your food sucks, then people won't come and no one gets paid. So what did you discover was your perspective? If you had to, you know, without diving too deep into what area it is. And- yeah. Well, what, what was it, if you it, had to articulate now? Yeah, it, it's pretty easy. I stopped being scared of who I was. I always was like, you know, I need to carry this mantle of these people that I worked for. And with all due respect to them, I said, fuck that. Who am I? And I'm a Cuban-American Which, kid. Which, if they gave a shit, is where they wanted you to end up. Right. You know, I'm a kid that grew up in Miami from Cuban descent. And I need to learn how to articulate that through food. And I did that. And it started with my frita. And it started with our foie gras dish. And, you know, like, it just went on and on to our pork chop. And, you know, a lot of our desserts, you know, our flan and stuff like that. It's just a lot of that is expression of someone that we're not just okay with the way things were before. We want to evolve. And we want right. to show, like, what our expression is of young Cuban Americans. So we'll skip over a lot of the Ariette stuff. Sure. Ariette is open for how long before Chugs is like germinating in your head? Three years and three months. And Chugs is a good story because as a concept, Chugs was never born. It was some, one of my partners came to me and said, Hey, what do you think about this space? And I love this space. I've always loved this space. I used so to, let's tell people where we are, by yeah, the way. Yeah, we're at 3444 Main Highway. Sweet 21. And this is in, in Coconut Grove. Coconut so it's one Grove. of Miami's oldest neighborhoods. Yeah. The which oldest is, neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, which is two blocks away from Ariette. By the um, way, we're here with Carlos Asai. He has many things. Oh, among them. historically building Miami historian here. That's why we brought him. I am a jack of all trades. My name is not Jack, and I'm a master of none of the trades. So <laughs> it's, a, it's an awkward title, but I, I take it uh, and hold it. Um, uh, well, yeah, well, it's good. You know? That all took you way too long to say. <laughs> I did. It did. I didn't uh, I, because I talk 
off the cuff, sometimes <laughs> the language. We're going to start to write down what you say. I should start right yeah, now. Yeah, we're going to write it down and you're just going to read it. No, you know what I think we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to let him go at his own pace and then transcribe it and make t-shirts <laughs> out of all of that that he just did. Great. Uh, so the this used to be Akashi. Okay. After Akashi, it was a place called Bookstore and Kitchen, which I loved, both of them very much. And I used to come to the Bookstore and Kitchen like two or three times a week. So when they... Told me about the space. I automatically was like, yeah. And they're like, well, what do you want to do there? I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea. But what I did know is that the Grove had real no, like no real true expression of Cuban food. But then again. Which is incredible, right? I mean, it's not a Cuban neighborhood, but the proximity to, it's not like saying, you know, oh, there's no expression of Cuban food in, I don't know, Homestead or something. Where there's a heavy Mexican population and there's not enough, but, and there's not. People aren't concentrated enough. I get that later. But it's it's incredible to me that there wasn't that here. Yeah. And in like classic me fashion, I can't just keep it the way it's supposed to be. So that's why we named it Chugs. Chug is my nickname for those of you that have How'd that happen? It was the second day of school in Columbus, Christopher Columbus High School, the greatest in the city. Um, Some would say. <laughs> <laughs> One person at this table would say that, and the other two... Whatever. Um, <laughs> we won't get into that. We That's won't. for later episodes, later. I guess. Sure, yeah. And um, I was late to history class, and that is Mr. Polito's class. And uh, I was drinking a milk chug, which I right. love. That's why we serve you who here, those, which is not the same. Was it those chug-a-lug chugs? Yes. So he says... Hey, Chugalug, come up to the front of the class and tell everyone why you're late. And the rest is fucking history. I mean, I cannot run away from that name. People don't know my real fucking name. That's funny, dude. People know me as Chug. So, Even people you don't know. Uh, before we started recording, I mentioned that I told someone that I would be here with you today. And they said, oh, Chug. And I mentioned that person to you. And you were like, I have no idea who that is. <laughs> I also have six concussions from 10 years of playing football. So don't judge me. No one's being judged. Just saying. So I wanted to do some, like a classical take on Cuban food with a twist. And that's pretty much how I do a lot of my food. It's just small curveballs everywhere, you know, bunch of fastballs, and then you'll hit that one curve. So, And you were a football guy. I was a football yeah, guy, you're, you're but I grew the, up in a baseball, baseball house. Yeah. I mean, my grandfather's a big baseball fan. Yeah, you're Cuban. Yeah. Can't, can't get away from that. So, you know... This was an opportunity to do pretty much pastelitos, croquetas, and café con leche our way. And so far now, today is day 10, 9, 9, 10, something like that. Yeah. And uh, we're here and we're open. So what was uh, the menu here? Well, is is different from very different from Ariette. Yeah, yeah. But it's still very much an expression of who you are. But it, I get the sense... That it's an exp- you're tapping into a different part of yourself and your history. It was it's crazy. Like I I'm so talking about like being creative and like all that kind of stuff. It I'm feels very, fun. It feels I'm like very, you had fun. I'm very fidgety, you know. Like I'm always like uh, I remember Enzo, which we're looking at right now, work very hard as he usually does, which is my uh, GM and director of operations for two properties. Enzo, up, Enzo wave. Enzo, Enzo wave. Wait yeah, for you the guys microphones. can't see him. Wait but for the microphones for he's, this he's radio a gr- show. Great guy and. He's that same laughing. And we're, um, 
Enzo worked with me for a very long time. And the reason uh, he left for a year and the reason why I wanted him to work with me again is because he knows how to rein me in. Okay. He understands. So I sat with him three months ago and I said, you know, we have the opportunity at the space. I'm thinking about doing a coffee shop. And he was like, oh, cool. Coffee shop. Easy. Small. I was like, yeah, we'll do like pastelitos, croquetas, nothing crazy, whatever. And he's like, oh, perfect. He's like, you're going to make it small and simple. And I said, yes. And he goes, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. Positive. And he was like, okay, I'm going to remind you when it's getting not simple. And I said, fine. Remind me. That's why you're here. So Enzo and me, he joined the team. Gang is back together again. And I'm excited because he's great. So as we sit there and we're talking, we're sitting in this space and it's just like a little construction zone. Because the bones were here, but we ended up taking out a lot, putting it back together, and just making it a little more workable. I started putting together the menu. He goes, hey, hey, this, what is this? I'm like, well, this is what I'm thinking. He goes, what do you mean this is what you're thinking? This is not what we talked about. So he was like, and I was like, okay, write down what you think we were talking about. He wrote down like 10 things. I'm like, well, we can't do this. And he goes, what do you mean? I'm like, this is too easy. We can't do this. It's like, we need to, we need to really, I mean, we're going to do something. We got to. We got to show up. Can't do a fucking layup. He goes, oh, fuck. He goes, I knew you were going to fucking do this. I go, I haven't done anything. This is all easy. So we did a tasting. And the food, um, it's not hard, but it's definitely different. And for the size of the space that we have, I'm definitely pushing it to the max. Yeah. The space is super tiny. It's a closet. How much um, space is it actually? It is very, very small. What are you working with? Like less than a thousand square feet. I think it's seven hundred and fifty square feet. Yeah, seven. It's like super tiny. And uh you know, they just Enzo was like, you know, we're gonna try to make this work. And I'm like, all right. And uh we worked through a lot and we sat here like I mean it was twenty hour days a lot just talking about things and working things scenarios through. And it's, um, you're never really fucking prepared. <laughs> you're never really ready. So we opened at 7.05 two Fridays ago. And um, we were we were ready-ish. And I was like, yeah, you know, like we're going to do table service. Man, was that a bad fucking idea? Holy shit. Fucking terrible idea. It was a fucking train wreck. I, gotta, I was here for the train wreck. Thanks. I'm yeah. sorry. No, I, I mean, I wasn't in a hurry. Yeah. And we got everything, and it was awesome. But I was here for the train wreck. Right. And at the very... It, I will say it was it was a logistical train wreck. The food was great. It just, you know, it was a process. We had to work it the fuck out. Yeah. And it, it's just, you know, that shit drives me crazy for a couple of reasons. Because, man, we thought we, like, we thought we thought of everything. But we didn't. And what really bothers me about that is, at the point that I am now... It's not just about food. It's about guest experience. And Chugs is built to have a price point and a food and a style that is for community. And it's supposed to be a service for the community. Like, we want you to come, spend 10 bucks, have a great fucking time, leave, come back tomorrow, spend 5 bucks. You know, like, we yeah. want to be that neighborhood joint that right. like, people are coming to and, like, just getting rice and beans or getting a croqueta and getting a cafe con leche and, First two days, I failed at that. And I said, fuck it. We're going to change this shit up the third day. And, man, it was the best thing we ever did. I got to say, I was – so I came in uh, at around lunchtime. 
you had asked me for some cigar boxes. Oh, yeah, uh, that's right. So I come in with the cigar boxes, not know like as soon as I come in, I don't know the train wreck that you're dealing with, and I sort of like lean over the the little you know kitchen partition. Yeah, and I give you a what's up, man. Dude, you shot me a look like I thought if I keep leaning over this thing, he's going to throw a fucking spatula through my face. <laughs> uh, but, dude, I was, I was here with a friend who, uh, you know, did not have that connection and was blown away the same way that everybody was. Yeah. I think anybody who knows what the first day of any kind of restaurant is, and my family's been in the restaurant business in uh, at least two different, you know, ways, mm-hmm. uh, knows how, how rough that can be. Right. So, um, so let, let's talk a bit about, about the menu though. So this is sort of, uh, wait, wait yeah, I sure. go back. Okay. I want to talk about how failure is so important. Failure was so important those two days and like Enzo and myself and some of the other staff working long hours and we failed our guests and I reached out to a lot of them like, come back. Let me try this again. Because for me, again, it's about the guests. You know, like a place like this, it's about the guests. Come back, have a great time. And, you know, we fixed a lot of our problems. Nothing is ever 100% fixed. But we fixed a lot of our issues. We got things on track. And on day three, it was like all those long hours were worth it. We figured out a system that we executed our food and our service to a place that I was pretty happy with. Yeah. And... You know, it's very, like to me that was the best feeling. I was happy, and we were like, you know, those like sixty hours that we banged out in like three and a half days yeah. was worth it because we figured out the system. We broke it. We broke the problem. Yeah, and also it comes from our background. Like a lot of the background that we have is more fine dining restaurants. So we're doing this fast casual concept, and this is the first of its kind for my company. So. We figure it out, and we're super happy about it. And, you know, every day we're tweaking and learning more. But after day three, it's, it's, been, a, it's been great. I think it's important to note, you know, that it was the first two or three days of a new concept opening up. Yeah, people, fact, don't, people don't give a fuck. You're right, I, and I understand that. And another thing I was going to say was that it's important that you used – that uh, what you said was failure as a source of, of knowledge to learn how to do things better. And again, we're talking about only the first three days. I'm also sure that failure for you is, uh, could be considered less than stellar on my part, and maybe not a failure completely. But it's, it's important to know that that's, that's what you're, you're using, something that did not go as well as it could have to learn how to make it go as well as it can. Yeah, I mean, you know, the style of food that we're doing is white rice and black beans with a twist. But those white rice and black beans mean the world to me. It's crazy because it's my grandmother. That's like, I want, a couple times I've seen here, you know, a younger, you know, mid-30s person eating with their grandfather or grandmother. And, you know, like, they're having Raul Sandio, and then uh, the younger person is eating, you know, our... Bocadito with fried crackers and whatever, you know, like that's to me, that is like the bridging of generations. And it's so important for me to do that, to help with that conversation. And that's why like failure is big because I want people to have a good experience, you know, and I want to help push that along, you know. So 
and I think we can treat this as an opportunity to talk about some specific dishes. But sure. one thing that I'm curious about is, you know, you have that that core, or and you know, tell me if I'm not articulating this in in the way that you might, but the sort of foundation, right, of the traditional Cuban dishes that you grew up with, yeah. that so many of us grew up with, even those of us who aren't Cuban, it's difficult to escape some of this stuff. Yeah. How did you manage the, let's call it the creative process of figuring out just how much of a twist to put on that before yeah. you'd gone too far even for your own liking? That's, that's a tough question to answer because um, I like to push the box out a little to bit. twist. Yeah, I like to, you know. So, it's tough. I'd say, like, the only things that are really pretty normal are our white rice, black beans, and maduros. You know, those are true to old school and they'll never change. Down and, to, by the way, uh, when I came, first time I came was uh, was a Lenten Friday. And so oh. I did the minuta sandwich. Okay. The second time I came, I did the uh, pork chop. Ah. And... Even though this was not a thing that I experienced in my house because this is not my mom's style, I was delighted at the deliberate rapida yeah. on the rice. Of course. Yeah. You can't be scared of that. And it's like also serving the banana. Right. The banana in whatever shape the banana is in. So like if there's a spot of black on the banana, you're still getting the banana because that's how my grandmother gave me the banana. So... Yeah, I'm not going to be, like, uppity about it. And if people don't like it, that's just who we are. And that's very important to know. You know, I've been working on this harina dish for a little while, and I haven't been able to put it on the menu because... Harina for our non-Spanish-speaking yeah, contingent it's, here. It's cornmeal. Yeah. Cornmeal cooked with milk. Um, ours is going to be a little bit of a twist with, like, um, fried shallots and popcorn on top. Nice. And the breakfast version will have a fried egg. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, just like little twists to those classics. Yep. But when I eat those things, I think of my grandparents. So so is that maybe the measuring stick? Like when it stops reminding me of my grandmother, that's when I've gone too far for this concept. Sure. Maybe. Um, I, <laughs> you know, we've had some run-ins with some people calling my food not whatever. I've seen a little bit of that on, on And Yelp. that's totally fine. Um, yeah. You can disagree with my version of Cuban food, and that's totally fine. Don't be an asshole in the process. And Always that, the key. Right. Always well, that, that one guy, and we'll dive into that. There was one guy that he was an asshole when he was here. He wrote a fucking super asshole comment. You know, he insulted my grandmother in his Yelp review, and I'm not one to respond to him, but fuck that guy, man. In, in fairness, though, probably not knowing he was insulting your grandmother. Sure. Maybe. Because you referred to the beans as being more Mexican than Cuban, right? Right. Maybe he did insult his grandmother. I, you know, whether... I'm not saying he did or he didn't. I'm just saying he but didn't you, know You know, you're also, like, here, I'm very sorry to say that I'm slanging food for 10 bucks and this is a diner. I'm not going to take your shit, man. You're not going to insult my staff. You're not going to be a fucking asshole when you're here. And that's the biggest problem. A lot of people think that they could just walk all over service staff. So that's a whole other fucking episode. Yeah. You know, but, and at the end of the day, it's called chugs. So it's mine. So it's my expression on food. You know, our croquetas are not normal. Um, they don't come out of a box frozen, which 
I'd say ninety percent of the croquetas in Miami do. How mind blowing is it? It's so is it that it's so hard to find a good croqueta? And, and you know, like Eileen and the family at our Ila yeah. Canaria do an incredible fucking job. The amount of production that they do for a fucking stellar product is so mind blowing. The people at those croquetas also, they have several different varieties and they do serious fucking volume. That's like mind blowing. And people are like, oh fucking two fifty for a croqueta? Yes. Shit's not fucking easy to do, man. Of course not, yeah. So, And it's not a frozen croquette. Right, right. Well, it's not frozen out of a box that was made six months ago. Right. I think that's important to know. Absolutely. You know, so it's like there's a lot of give and take. You know, we're trying to do something that's community-oriented, but some people in the process, you know, they're they're a little rough about it. And I think we, we just need to be better human beings about some things, yeah. you know, and um, people throwing comments at my servers, just like being very rude. It's not necessary. You don't like something, we'll do a better job. Yeah. Tell me what you don't like, and I'll do better to be there for you on the next one. Yeah. So speaking of, of feedback, you know, we're talking about the feedback of these random Yelpers sure. or whatever. And then there's also your own internal feedback of, you know, what is this doing for me in terms of that nostalgia and that sure. connection that I have to this culture. But in with a you know national cuisine like this, that maybe I'm looking at this from too Cuba centric sure. uh, uh, perspective, right? But I think I think it's probably not unfair to say then that more so than most other uh, let's call them ethnic cuisines, mm. this this food serves as a super important connection for a people mm. to a place sure that they've in a lot of ways lost because lost. even if you're traveling back to cuba yeah you're not finding the dishes right that your parents and your grandparents grew up with right so there's got to be a certain weight to that like you're taking on a certain responsibility when you're adding that twist sure so are there are there people whether it's personal connections or other people in the food world whose feedback has been important to you and that you've got yeah, for sure i mean uh, today, I had a long office day, just trying to organize restaurants, and there was a bunch of great chefs here today from the city. They all reached out and said they had a fucking great time, and they loved the food. Pablo from No Name has been here three times. I think that stuff, it means a lot to me because those guys, they, you know, the, the people in the industry, they work so hard, and to be able to provide like this kind of food for them that's soulful and touches people, you know, on like a heartfelt level for me is important. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, Aaron Brooks was here today, Saltzman and Nando, and, uh, but I'm even Pablo. talking about like people for whom this is just as personal as it is for you. So, I mean, I don't know what your relationships are to who, but right. I'm thinking Eileen. I'm thinking the Valls family. Yeah. Uh, well, they uh, haven't been here yet. Um, yeah, I mean, whoever that might be. Right. Or even your your own family. Yeah. Well, my family has been here, and they do carry their own I would opinions. Hope so. Yeah. <laughs> they, do, they do carry. Well, you know, this isn't quite like Abuelas. Um, well, yeah. it's not going to be. Right. But the, the hardest part is being able to mass produce something that is like my grandmother's. You know, and those beans that she's been making forever – I'm so tired of saying, like, you know, where are the best black beans? Like, I just go to my grandma's house. Yeah. You know, I want to say, well, you know, visit Chugs. Maybe you'll like those. 
Yeah. Uh, and there's several other places that make them really well too. But for you, for me, my grandmother's carry a lot of weight. Um, like for me, that's, uh, no restaurant will ever be capable of producing my great grandmother's arroz con pollo. It's just not possible. You could not serve that to more than a handful of people at a time right. with how much time she put into that arroz con pollo. It's also, a, a, it's your creative expression using the inspiration that you used, which was your grandmother. You know, this is, like you said, and the place, and grandfather, the place is called Chugs. And it's your interpretation and your creative expression on those dishes that oh. you grew up on, that you know how they're made. And just as you said, they have a little bit of a twist. And that twist is you. Yeah, it's hard. I remember. I'll go back three months ago to when Enzo and I were talking. And I was like, yeah, you know, this little coffee shop. You know, I'm thinking, like, we're just going to do something like kind of cookie cutter, you know, for Coconut Grove or whatever. Technically, this space is a pop-up for us. Uh, So it's a short-term lease. And... As I dove in more and more, I started to become more connected. And then I started to become, it's like, again, that very obsessive personality that I have with food that I wanted to be great. So, you know, Enzo Enzo already saw uh, the path we were going down. And he was like, all right, I mean, this is going to be a full-service restaurant now. I'm like, no, 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 it's not, it's not, it's not. Then it became one. Uh, and luckily, we're very fortunate that it's gone very well. Yeah. Um, so unless there are other things that you want, and we can, we'll see where we transition to from this, if anywhere. Uh, but, you know, we've talked about Enzo a little bit. I want to talk about at least one other, and this is just the one that I'm aware of, uh-huh. uh, contributor to this menu, who I also happen to think has easily uh-huh. the best Instagram handle <laughs> in the Miami food game, yeah. which is Patelito Papi. Yeah, Gio. Uh, so those Patelitos are, I mean, I, I don't even know what to say. Yeah. That, that for, for people who are joining us from outside of Miami, Patelitos sure. are the way that we'll all refer to uh, Cuban, Cuban-style pastries. It's, a, it's like the Cuban version of a croissant, I feel. Right, a croissant or like a turnover or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's like, you know, like the normal, you have a coffee with a croissant, we have a coffee with a patelito. Right, and I, I think that his patelitos more than anything yeah. uh, that I've seen in my, you know, short life of eating in Miami yeah. are probably like the most quickly accepted challenge to yeah. Cuban food orthodoxy <laughs> that I've ever come across. Like, if you had told me before this guy came around that people would be going, like, of all ages, of all relationships yeah. with Cuba, would be going fucking bananas for a peanut butter and jelly patelito, I would have told you, no, there's no way. People are going to, it doesn't matter how good it is, people are going to poo-poo it. Right. They're fucking awesome and everybody knows it. Yeah. No one poo-pooed it. Nobody no. poo-pooed Actually, Thomas Keller ate it and said it was exceptional. The Frita one, right? Or no, he ate a bunch of them. He ate a bunch of them. Uh, and this was on Carlos Frias's La Ventanita yeah. podcast. And and he ate my croquetas and he ate Gio's pastelitos and it was uh, very... Enzo, we're just talking lots about you, man. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're pretty much the star of the show. You are the whole reason we're talking right now. Wave <laughs> to the radio. Yeah, wave, to the podcast. Wave again. There you go. Wave, again. wave Thanks, to the podcast. Enzo. He's waving. Um, Gio... We'll have him on. Yeah. That'll be a show. Um... Gio has been a great friend of mine, pretty much family for about a decade. And Gio had this idea uh, 
we did this really strange pastelito for an event uh, about two years ago. And when we did it, it was a train wreck. Uh, but we did it. The pastelito was great. We just didn't make enough, which seems to be the trend. And uh, he was just like, bro, we should do like, you know, just different pastelitos. I'm like, man, it's a great idea. He's like, man, I think I want to do that. I'm like, fucking do it. So it kind of was birthed in the Ariette kitchen. And Gio kind of took the bull by the horns. And he's just manufactured this monster. Yeah. And, you know, Gio's an incredible person, super talented. And he's taken this to another level. So, so pa- patelitos, again, for the benefit of people who are not as familiar, right. patelitos are generally... We're talking guava, guava, cheese, guava cheese, and beef. And that's, beef, yeah. That's, that's there's, a, there's maybe ham and cheese. There's ham and there's there's when you dive in, there's tuna. There's a bunch of like weird but ones. The, that but go by the, yeah, once you get to tuna, you're talking about like you, you'll have shit. a hard time finding it. Yeah. Well, there there's some good bakeries that do them, but um, you know they're pretty rare. Yeah. And Gio is just like you know I just want to use good ingredients inside the pastelito and. Just make it kind of weird, which is kind of RMO as yeah. a company. So he's doing the frita, which is the Cuban style burger in pastelito form. He's got right. the PB and J. He's got he's the, got he's got Jamaican beef patty. He's got ropa vieja, which we served today, with a mariquita topping. He's got pastelito, which was uh, his aunt's uh, spaghetti recipe right. inside of a pastelito. Which me, I am a fan of the spaghetti sandwich. Which if you haven't had it, never had this. Go for sandwich. it. I'm a fan of. Uh, Pastelito. Yeah. The name of the yeah. name. Yeah, it was genius. Brilliant. It was genius. He's, and like, you know, like, how many times can you order a pastelito and get fresh shaved Parmesan on top? Yeah. It was, it was an operational and service train wreck, but God, it was great. Yeah. You know? It was a culinary goldmine. Yeah. So, you know, a big part of this also when we were talking about Let's Do Chug's Diner was creating a home for Pastelito Papi and seeing how this does on scale of an everyday basis. And we've sold out every day we've been open. And so that's part of what I wanted to get into through that was um, how you see your role mm-hmm. now that you – so you've got Ariette, you've got yeah. Chugs, Lenya coming at Timeout Market. Yeah. I don't know what else you have in the works. There's stuff. There's stuff, I'm sure. Right. Uh, and I th- unless you think differently, I think a good place to, to end this is how you see – yourself now at this point in your career mm. and your role in how you see your relationship to other people in food around yeah. you right and how chugs figures into that because yeah. patelito papi is clearly some of that right there's at least yeah. one manifestation of of how that's one of the things that's cool to see yeah is to see you becoming not only you know uh, reaching new heights in your own career but becoming a vehicle through which other people are able to, you know, take those steps up as well. Yeah. When you're this whole like idea of building a hospitality company was pretty daunting, uh, especially like how difficult the first three and a half years of just owning a restaurant have been. Um, but the big part of that is we're fortunate to have an incredible staff and to have incredible human beings that have, like pretty much said, you know, Mike, we're with you. What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Like, I mean, that was, you know, keeping me up at night. Like, how do I help create opportunity for more people? You know, we have great people, 
let's give them the opportunity to grow within the company. So a guy like Gio, that's, we've been, I mean, we started working the same station together at Norman's nine years ago. And the same thing with Matt Hawkins, which is my chef de cuisine at Ariette. It's like, how do we create opportunity for them? And how do we help them grow? Because if they're stagnant, they're going to leave. And they're, they're, gonna, they're just not going to feel fulfilled. And I want everyone that works within my company to be given the same opportunity that I've given myself, which is to grow within creativity and just responsibility, giving them like that vehicle to feel like they have a say in like the bigger picture. And that's cool for me. Um, you know, we're fortunate to have those people. So in our core group of management chefs and management in front of the house, I feel competes with the best in the city and it's on a small market like my very Miami level and I find it awesome you know to me that just gets me fucking going and I want to keep on fucking pushing and I want to create on like keep on creating opportunity and for me it it also creates more opportunity for me to fuck with different food and like okay we have this like diner Cuban American concept like yeah that gives me opportunity like our breakfast sandwich for me, is one of my favorite things. It's Taylor ham, American cheese, fried egg with papitas on Cuban bread. Like, it's weird, man. It's fucking great, you know? And that's something that Roel at the Cypress Room introduced me to. And I was like, this is fucking delicious. Let's do this. And it's a little weird, but people love it. We sold 75 breakfast sandwiches yesterday. That yeah, was me. a place this size, that yeah. is a lot of breakfast sandwiches. And that was me. I fucking turned all those eggs. So, I, I love that. And... Just diving a little bit deeper to, to like, just sure, yeah. taking a left turn. Yeah. The egg is so humbling as a cook. You know, when you're cooking eggs for the masses, it's humbling because it wants you to pay attention to it. You know, it says, pay attention to me because if not, I'm going to explode. So it forces you to be a better cook. And to me, that gets me off. It's a challenge. Like, man, you could put me on a grill station in Ariette. I will crank out 200 covers. I will cook 45 fucking short ribs. I will cook 45 pork chops to perfection. But the egg, man, it takes no prisoners, that thing. You will break so many, and it will just be like, yeah, pay attention. So anyways, but just like, you know, we have Chug's Diner. We have Valenia. We have Ariette, which... Chef Matt has taken that as the opportunity to become the chef de cuisine there. And it's like a very different role. He's been the sous chef since the day we opened. Um, and he did a great job at that. And it's just understanding our style of food. And now it gives him the opportunity to have a little bit of his own expression in there. And since I trust him completely with food, I'll be like, yeah, man, just what do you want to do? Let's do it. Let's fucking do that. You know, let's, let's push this shit. Let's, not be content with just our our stable dishes. Yeah, we'll keep them, but what else are we going to do? You know, and that's very exciting. Nave, which is the restaurant, it's going to be like Ariad's sister restaurant, a seafood concept that uh, we brought Justin Flit into the company, and he is my chef partner. Uh, it's pretty much his baby as much as it is mine. That's going to be a 130-seat monster seafood station, you know, raw bar, you know, pasta room you know justin loves doing pasta so and i feel like his pasta is incredible so we built a pasta room to be like hey man what do you want to do let's fucking do this yeah 
that kind of stuff for me, I felt was missing. Not just saying conceptually a restaurateur wants to uh, open up restaurants with his name, like X restaurant by a depot. You know, which is a great name for a restaurant. X restaurant by a depot. Right. I'm there. I'm all (laughs) in. It's it's more like (laughs) X restaurant highlighting great chefs from the city and highlighting what they do well. It's not. I feel like the restaurant game has become very egocentric, and I want to go away from that because it's a community thing. It's a we are a community. Let's highlight each other. It's not just fucking me. Whatever. So, yeah, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Just the expression of, like, growing. I'm pretty young. I'm only 33. Um, There's so many ideas. There's so many places that I want to go. And that idea that we talked about earlier about creativity, uh, the creativity now is on a different spectrum. You know, we're creating for concepts and not just for menus, you know, like, Chug's Diner is a concept. Ariette is a concept. And what really excites me is the opportunity of being able to flip eggs here for lunch and then walk over to Ariette and work dinner. Yeah. You know, like crank out a 150-person dinner and crank out a 250-person lunch over there. Yeah. I think that's very exciting. You know. Hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? Good, I'm great. Interesting situation. You're telling us. Yeah, we're we're talking into microphones and recordings. We're such. recording a podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just with the microphone and with the telephone. With the microphone into only. here, into, into the recorder. Yeah, yeah. And which channel is this? This this is not. It's, it's on a podcast. The it's the an, an internet podcast. Yeah. It's like yeah. a private radio show. Yeah. But yeah. you can access it through the internet yeah. whenever you want. Yeah. Yeah. We're recording the first the first episode, so, so it's, you, you won't find it yet. Thanks. But Thanks. yeah, what is the podcast called? Pan con podcast. Pan. Pan con podcast. Pan con podcast. Pan con pan. Yeah, well, yes, fuck the pan. But yeah, it looks like there you Spanish. go. Yeah, yeah, it's a little Spanish. Yeah, it's a little Spanish. Yeah. Thanks. It's Spanish. Yeah. All right. Ciao, guys. Ciao. Have a good night. Well, that is the. If I couldn't find a perfect way to end our first and we're done, and we're done. Let's 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 actually end. I'm gonna let's end on some shameless plugging here. Yeah. Uh, So you can find Pancom Podcast across, as we mentioned, all of the social media things at Pancom Podcast. You wanna? You can ask the guy. You can ask the guy or Pancom Pank. Pancom Pank. Which, yeah. by the way, uh, new Spanish. menu item suggestion, yeah. pan con pan. Chug's famous pan con pan, I think, is going to be a thing any minute now. Oh, uh, God, that's so crazy. Let's, uh, well, the so classic can, bread sandwich. That's yeah. right, classic bread sandwich. So, yeah, you can find us at pan con podcast across uh, Twitter, Instagram, yeah. uh, Facebook. You can also find episodes of this at datemag.com yeah, slash pan con podcast. Yep. Uh, you can find... I'm not going to bother spelling it and being annoying, but you can find me at Nicolas A. Jimenez. Right. All across all the things. Sure. Carlos is Carluba, like Carlos and Cuba together. It's quite and the character, Carluba. Let's, let's get all your chug things. Yeah. Uh, my personal is Pig Inc. P-I-G-I-N-C. That's my personal one. Uh, we are at Chug's Diner, which we la- landed that on Instagram, which was nice. quite the feat. And Ariette Miami, 
And you could also find us at Time Out Lania, which will be opening in May. Awesome. So this has been the first full episode of Pancom Podcast. Stick around. There will be another episode sure. where our guest might be an Italian passerby. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Until next time. Yeah. <laughs>